Well, it is a great day. Please get your seatbelt on because we're, we've got a lot to cover today. Um, before we even read the scripture, I just need to say a few things. Um, so we've been doing a series in the book of Matthew, and it turns out that Jesus gives five sermons in Matthew. This is his fifth sermon. It's Matthew 24 and 25, and I've called it the future of the kingdom. We're going to spend three weeks on it. Today we're going to do Matthew 24 to kind of prep, prep you before we even read it. Um, Christians are united about Jesus's second coming in that it's going to happen. Christians are united that history is not merely repeating itself. History is going somewhere. History is his story. And it will culminate with the return of Jesus. And all believers all over the world believe that and are living in light of Christ's coming. Now, when people believe he's coming and exactly how he's going to come and what are the events, you find 10 believers that believe the Bible and love the end times, and you're going to get slightly different opinions. So this is how exactly everything unfolds. That's what we call that as a non-essential, that it's really important that we agree to disagree with and not allow it to divide us. Um, so my journey with the end times and with Matthew 24 specifically has gone on quite a journey. I started out, I, I did my master's thesis on the end times, and this is 32 years ago, and I'm, was, I had one position that Jesus was going to come back uh, before the events of the, of the disasters in Matthew 24, and there was a secret coming, and uh, and then I, I changed that position. I, I read a book called The Sign by Robert Van Campen and absolutely convinced me that the sixth seal uh, that John gives is the same as, as the rapture, the sign that, that Jesus gave. And so I, I changed my position to a pre-wrath position. And, uh, and the, the one thing that I had to make an allowance for for that position is the word genia in the Greek. The word genia is translated generation. And the, the problem is, is, in my mind, all of the events could not happen in Matthew 24 because Matthew 24 describes both the fall of Jerusalem and the second coming of Jesus. And because they couldn't all be in one generation, that word couldn't mean generation. It had to mean race. And so that was kind of the centerpiece uh, of my position is this is about the Jewish race will still be on the earth and I was very very strong in that opinion now here's what we've learned about my personality I may be wrong but I'm never in doubt just because I believe something strongly and have energy does not mean it's right. And uh, so I, I did change my position last year, and I will give you the four reasons why I did. But for now, please remain seated as we read Matthew 24. If, you want, if you're one of those that is really disappointed that we're not going to stand, wait for the prayer. I'm going to have you guys stand. So that's still coming, but this is a long passage. Here we go. Boom. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. 
And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Could we stand together? Lord, we need your help today in every way. Please speak. Speak to our minds and speak to our hearts. Please, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The future of the kingdom overcomers. Four reasons why I changed my position. Number one, Jania, that is translated generation here, should be translated generation here. It means a generation. It means their generation. Jesus is saying there's a whole bunch of things that are going to happen before you die. There's going to happen in this generation. You need to know what they are. You need to be alert because the way you are going to overcome in this time is by fleeing Jerusalem. You're either going to die for your faith. Some of you are going to die. There's going to be great persecution. Some of you are going to die. And others of you are going to have to flee. This is how you're going to overcome. I'm giving you the signs. This is going to happen in your generation. All the other places this word is used, it means generation. Changing it to race here is, is only because you're trying to make it sound like it, it all didn't happen then. Number two, all of the things that Jesus said would happen in their generation, there's a second proof of this, that all of this stuff already happened. And that is this. There are three Gospels called the Synoptic Gospels. Mark, Luke, and, and Matthew. Synoptic means you need to view these together. To find out what happened, to find out what was said, to find out, you need to view these together. Well, 
the reason why Matthew's gospel is so muddled, Matthew 24, is because he's answering three questions at once. He's answering, when will the temple be destroyed? When will the second coming happen? And when will the end come? And he's answering them all at once, and it's very confusing. So which goes to which? But if you view all of the three synoptics together, it all gets real clear. Because in Mark and Luke, only one question is asked. There's no question about the end. There's no question about his second coming. The only question is about when will the temple be destroyed. And all of the things he describes in Matthew 24, all of the signs, all of the birth pains, belong to the first century. Third, why did I change my position? Because I, ra- I, I learned about history. I learned about what actually happened in Christian history and in Jewish history. And the detail of what actually happened is stunning if you care to learn about it. And I did a, a much longer teaching on this last November called Let's Talk About the End Times, and that's available. If you get confused when I'm talking, I don't blame you, but you can go listen to those CDs. Fourth reason I changed my position is I had always said that both, the, the reason why it has to be translated race is because both, both the fall of Jerusalem and the second coming are described. But if you read very closely, you will see that what Jesus says will happen in their generation is that his coming will be at the door. Before, before their generation, it's not that he will come again, It's that his coming will be right at the door. He said, my coming, a lot of stuff has to happen before my coming, and it's all going to happen in your generation. But once this generation is done, and once these things happen, then my coming will be right at the door. Jesus himself said he didn't know when his coming was. The Father doesn't know. You don't know. Jesus said, not even I know. What happened in the first century was that his coming was at the door so that his imminent coming would be for every single generation. When is Jesus coming? It could be any time, any day, any hour. It's been imminent since the first century. All right, point two, overcoming. What did it mean to overcome then? Jesus said that this generation would see horrible things. They would see false Christs. They would see wars, rumors of war. Fear would be in the air. He said that there's going to be famines, earthquakes that cause famines. There's going to be natural disasters. Then he said there's going to be a time of persecution, horrible persecution of Christians, Uh, to the point where people are betraying one another. Many of you are going to die and you need to be faithful to the end. And in its context, the end means to the end of your life. You need to be faithful even under death. Some of you are going to overcome by dying. This is all going to happen, he said, in your generation. Then he said, you're going to see, this generation is going to see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. There's going to be this judgment that was promised that is going to come on the Jews, on Jerusalem. They would, they would see the destruction of the temple. Uh, Matthew 23 Verses 34 through 38. Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all of this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. 
There is a judgment that is coming from God on this generation, on the Jewish people of all time for rejecting Jesus as the Christ. It is coming on the leadership. The the house of Israel is going to be left desolate. In this generation, the temple is going to be destroyed. The Jewish temple, all of Judaism is around the temple. It's a sacrificial system. The problem with those sacrifices, they have to be made in the temple. You can't just make them anywhere. They have to be made in the temple. And he says, Judaism, as it is known, is going to end in this generation. He says that Jerusalem itself is going to be trampled underfoot and going to be uh, laid siege to, Luke 21. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. It was written that there would be a 70th seven of Daniel. There would be an abomination of desolation. There would be a destruction like a flood on the Jewish people. It would be the God's wrath on the, the, the Jewish people for rejecting Christ. And then finally, Jesus says, he gives a, a number of warnings about Christians You need to flee. This is not going to be the time of Jerusalem's rescue. It's going to be a time of its destruction. You need to get out of there. Pray that it's not on Sabbath. Pray that it's not winter. Pray pray that you're you're not nursing babies. You You need to flee. The way you will be saved in this time relies on you paying attention to these signs that are going to happen. Let the reader understand. These are going to happen in your generation. You keep your eyes open. When these things happen, you need to leave Jerusalem. You need to leave Judea to be saved. They could overcome in one of two ways, either by dying for their faith or by fleeing when um, these signs happened. So what happened? What actually happened in their generation? You go back and you study the first century and you're going to find that all of these things happened just like Jesus said. The persecution started among the Jews. We see Saul. It wasn't enough for him to to kill uh, Christians in Jerusalem. He took it on the road. There was a region-wide empire ride, wide persecution of Christians going on. We see James dying that way. Jew, it's Jewish persecuting the Christians. Christianity was viewed as a sect of the Jews. The Jews were persecuting it for decades. And then it went empire-wide. In 64 AD, Nero burned Rome and blamed the Christians. And now it was illegal to be Christian. And there were, as Josephus describes those times, and Suetonius, it was so horrible that the streets were lined with crucified Christians that were set on fire. It was a horrible, horrible persecution of Christians. In 66 AD, Nero began a war against the Jews. 68 AD, Nero commits suicide. 69 AD, you talk about birth pains. War breaks out all over the Roman Empire. There are four emperors, four changes of power in one year, 69 AD. There is war, there is, it is all erupting. At the end, Vespasian, who was the general that Nero sent to start this war, becomes the emperor that lasts. He assigns his son, Titus, to the war, to carry out the war against the Jews. In 70 AD, in April, during Passover... Passover, it's insidious because all of the Jews are gathered from all over the empire. There's over a million Jews gathered in Jerusalem. That's when uh, Titus brings the Roman army all around Jerusalem and and the Jews are trapped. Many false messiahs rise up at that time and say, no, this is going to be the greatest miracle. This is going to be the great deliverance. There were signs that Josephus tells all about the signs of why people believe this was going to be the Jews' greatest hour of deliverance. 
The siege began in April. Jews were trapped. If they tried to leave, they would crucify them. They would kill them in horrible ways. But slowly, they were also being killed because of starvation. It went until August when they were all in, locked up in the temple, and Titus set the temple on fire at exactly the three-and-a-half-year point of the war. The temple was destroyed. Jewish sacrifices ceased. Not one stone was left upon another. Do you want to know why that was? Because of greed. The, the fire had melted the gold, and so they, they moved every stone so they could get to the gold. And not one stone was left upon another. The Roman army... Mark says, also talks about the abomination of desolation before um, the, uh, when, when Jerusalem is destroyed. Luke says it's the abomination of desolation is the Roman army. How can the Roman army be the abomination of desolation? Well, everywhere the Roman army went, they made things desolate. And they fought under a Jewish ensign, which was a flag that had an image of the divine Caesar underneath it. Whenever they conquered a place, they made sacrifices to Caesar as being divine. Josephus says that on the wing of the temple, after they destroyed the temple, after they destroyed the holy place, sacrifices were made to the, Jew, to the Roman ensigns, to Vespasian as being God in the flesh. But the war didn't stop there. It went for three and a half more years. Titus, Vespasian kept the war going and they chased down Jews. it, It ended in 73 AD in Masada. They did another siege on the stronghold of Masada. When they broke in, they found a thousand Jews that had committed suicide. And then Vespasian called the war off. I would say this, God called the war off. Otherwise, none would have survived because they were gonna go after every, every Jew. This all happened. This all happened in our history. What happened at that time to the Christians? Well, Eusebius, early church father, tells us this, that the Christians, because of this prophecy, because of what Jesus told them, when the Roman army is starting to gather, the word got out, we need to flee. We need to flee. Many false prophets were saying, deliverance, deliverance, stand, God will deliver us, God will see us through. And the Christians all said, no, this is time to flee. This isn't time of deliverance. This is time of judgment. We need to flee. The Christians all fled. God, God protected them in their fleeing. There was a, a place that they all fled to. I tell all about that. But what happened between the Christians and the Jews is until this time, Paul always started his, his uh, churches in synagogues and he would start sharing in synagogues. But after this, the Jews no longer allowed any Christian to be in their synagogues because they, they saw the Christians as betraying the Jews. In their darkest hour, they fled from them. This all happened in the first century. To overcome, you, need to, you needed to believe, it was very, very difficult dark times. You needed to believe the words of Jesus. Either you overcame by dying for your faith or you, or you overcame by fleeing and obeying his command. So that's point two. Here's point three. Overcoming in times of persecution. 25 years after Jerusalem falls and the temple is destroyed, the Apostle John is on uh, Patmos, which is an island prison. Domitian, who is Vespasian's son, is now the ruler. And a persecution region-wide has begun again. But it's 25 years after the event. There is only... Two seals left, the sixth and the seventh seal. The sixth seal is the rapture. Jesus said, immediately after the distress of these days, speaking of the first century, speaking of the fall of Jerusalem, speaking of the abomination of desolation, he said, immediately after that, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And he, and he gave what it was. 
The sun is going to darken. The moon will no longer give its light. Stars are going to fall. There's going to be a great earthquake that's going to shake. And there's going to be a a rapture of the saints. And if you read in your Bible, you'll see that in Revelation chapter 6, when it describes the sixth seal, it is word for word what Jesus says will be his second coming. Sun is going to go dark. Moon will turn red. Uh, stars are going to fall. Earth is going to shake. Jesus says that's the time of the rapture when God gathers his elect from all over the world, from all of the winds. In Revelation 6, you don't get that. But during the sixth seal in Revelation 7, from heaven's perspective, this happens. John says, immediately before me appeared a multitude uh, greater than the sand of the seas, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And he says, where, where did these come from? The rapture happens during the sixth seal. The first five seals are already opened. There are future implications for all five, the five seals that are open, and we'll talk about those in a couple weeks, but they are open now. They were opened in the first century. Jesus said that immediately after the distress of those days, immediately I will come again. And this has caused many to say, well, that, then it can't be that generation. It's got to be another generation because Jesus didn't come. And Jesus said immediately. Well, it turns out that when God says immediately, it means something different than when, when you and I say immediately. Here's what Jesus was saying. He wanted us to know it. Once these signs are fulfilled... I'm not going to come until these signs are fulfilled. This is going to happen in your generation. You need to watch for these signs. They're going to happen, and you're going to have to do something. Once these signs are fulfilled, the next thing, the immediate next thing prophetically that happens is I will return. How do I know that immediately can't, can't mean immediately? Because Jesus is the one that said immediately, and then a verse later said, I don't know when it's going to be. He knew exactly what was going to happen in their generation. He knew his coming would be right at the door in their generation. But he didn't know when that coming was going to be. But he wanted us to know it is the next thing prophetically that is going to happen. It's going to be him coming for his people. He planned this, that his coming would be imminent. After the first century, after the Jewish system was ended to to be raised up no more, that his coming would be imminent. And that not just the first century believers like John, but you and I, we would live waiting. The first five seals are open. The fifth seal, um, uh, Jesus describes the five seals. The first one is false religion. Second one is wars. Third is famines and earthquakes. Fourth is death. Fifth is persecution because of witness. I want to read this to you. Those that are are speaking during the fifth seal. It says that they were slain, they were martyred because of the word of God and because of the testimony they maintained. They are asking as, as they are crying out as martyrs, how much longer? John's self-description of why he's on Patmos is the exact same words. Listen, Revelation 1.9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He is there. The five seals are open. There's all kinds of false religion. There's war still going on. There's famines and earthquakes still going on. And there is persecution and witness going on that John is, that's why he's imprisoned there. There is this longing in the church. How much longer? They are waiting for Christ's second coming. John is waiting for Christ's second coming. And he has these words to those who need to be faithful under persecution, faithful even under death, that overcoming in this world is over. You overcome by by beating somebody else, by, 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 by getting above, by finding a way to survive. And he said God's perspective of overcoming is very different. 
You overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony and by not loving your life even unto death. That's how you overcome. That's, that's, this, this is the ultimate overcoming. And he says to the, his brothers at Smyrna, be faithful even to death. Overcoming. So this is his word today. These seals are still open right now. Um, you say, Pastor Tom, I don't see anybody dying for Jesus. Well, open your eyes. If you look all over the world, people are dying all the time for Jesus. We had Camella in our prayer meeting. Camella is a missionary from here to South Africa. And it's, she's out of Iris. She works with Iris Ministries, which is Heidi and Roland Baker, that's based out of Mozambique. And they've had to move a ton of people from Mozambique to South Africa. Here's why. Um, some terrorists are coming down from Tanzania with a mandate to kill Christians and persecute Christians. Heidi and Roland Baker are standing firm, and they're like, let them come. But they, they couldn't put all their people at risk. So a lot of their people have gone south to South Africa. This is happening right now. This is happening in Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, China. Persecution is at Russia. It's happening all over the world right now. And to the persecuted church, Jesus says, here's how you overcome. Do not fear anything the devil tries to do to you. In Luke's gospel, he says it this way. Even if they kill you, know this. Not one hair on your head is going to perish. You are going to have eternal life. It will all be worth it. You hang on. Be faithful until the end. He who perseveres to the end. To the end of what? To the end of his life. Persevere. Keep going to the end of your life. And you will, make, you will not regret it. So I had a question this week. In Matthew 24, Jesus is just describing what's going to happen. There's going to be false Christ. There's going to be wars. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. There's going to be persecution and even martyrdom during witness. But here's what's really disturbing about Revelation. (laughs) Revelation says, this is how it came down. There is this scroll in heaven called the day of the Lord when God actively begins to rule again. Uh, But there's seals. There's seven seals on this scroll and seals are on the outside of a Jewish document. You can't open it until these seven conditions are met and no one has the authority to break these seals. And John is weeping because human history can't come to a conclusion. It It can't come to a consummation without these seals being opened. No one in heaven is worthy. And then the angel with him says, no, no, there is one who is worthy. The lamb who was slain is worthy to break those seals. And then we have this very disturbing picture where Jesus is the one that breaks the seals, that allows false Christs, that allows wars and rumors of war, that allows earthquakes, famines, that allows persecution and even martyrdom of his church. And instead of man being in control, God is actually in control and he's allowing these things. He, if he doesn't break the seals, these things can't even happen. And then the question comes up, why? Jesus, why? Why did you decide that the gospel was going to be preached in the midst of such darkness? Why did you decide that there was going to be false Christ and false religion and and that mankind could fight each other, kill each other, do whatever, could even persecute the church and the curse that's on creation would continue to go? Why did you allow this? Why is the gospel preached in in this environment? Why did you decide that? So here's what I believe the answer is. And remember, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. So take it with a grain of salt. Here's why I think. The first group chose him in the light of his perfections, the light of heaven, the light of his glory, and a third of them fell anyway. I'm speaking of the angels. We're the second group. Mankind is the second group. And God has purpose this that we're going to choose him 
in darkness. That we are going to choose him in the dark, in the midst of all the dark things that man is doing and conniving, all the darkness of the devil and what the devil is being allowed to do. We're going to choose him in the darkness. And because we've chosen him in the darkness, when we get to the light, we will, we will love him so much that we will never fall away for all eternity. Did you know that we never lose our free will? Did you know that? Did you know that we don't have free will now and then once you're in heaven, you're lost? No, no. Jesus has purposed that we would choose him in this time of testing, in this time of darkness, and that if we can protect our love and let our love burn for him in this time, it is the assurance that we will choose him for all eternity. And not only that, it also, it also provides something for the other two-thirds of the angels that didn't fall. The Bible says in Ephesians 3 that the manifold wisdom of God is being taught to all of creation, all the principalities and powers through the church. The angels are finding out how much God loves people, how much he loves them, how much he was willing to sacrifice. They're finding out about his beauty and his goodness through this time. Choosing Jesus in the darkness. Okay, so here we go. Last point. Overcoming in America today. How do you overcome when you're a Christian in America today? Well, it turns out there was one church that was very similar to America. There's one church that wasn't being persecuted. They weren't having trouble. They were having a comfortable, good, fun life while they were being Christians. It is the church in Laodicea. And uh, Jesus speaks to them and talks to them about how they overcome. I'm going to read it to you. Revelation 3:17. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus, it's pure love. But this church has taken on the complacency of a prosperous culture. They have faded into and just kind of embraced because their lives are easier and they aren't dealing with persecution. They've just kind of made their own lives about comfort and fun and they've added a little Christianity and Jesus comes in pure love. Pure love. Jesus, he disciplines those he loves. It is his heart. We have redefined love in our culture to say that if you love me, you would never correct me. You'll always make it easy for me. You'll always tell me what I want to hear if you love me. Guys, that's not love. That is not love. Jesus in pure love says, guys, something is not right. And I'm here to tell you what it is. So, last week, we had our Bailey's testimonies and teenage, teenager after teenager talked about the basement. And the night Pastor Tom at the camp meeting talked about the basement and us going to the basement. What did all that mean? Let me tell you. So it's, it's all, it, it, it was a story about something that happened to us in Faustin, Minnesota, northwest Minnesota. We were at a small church there. They had a parsonage that we lived in, a very nice parsonage. And one morning, Alice and I woke up and something Something didn't smell right. What is that? You couldn't quite put your finger on it, but if you have something that smells bad in your house, um, what do you do? You start looking for the source. Isn't that right? You, you start sniffing. You sniff around. Usually, the first thing you do is you, you look for any place that it might get stronger. So you go to the trash area. You pull that out and smell it. And if it's not strong there, okay, it's not, that's not the source. Then you go to the garage usually where they open that up, smell there. Mm, doesn't seem like it's coming there. And 
where is that smell coming from? There's something, there's something right, not right. Now, there's three options when something doesn't smell right. Here's your three options. Number one, you can simply ignore it and you will eventually get used to it. It's like the pig farmer. He doesn't know it smells anymore. But everybody else that comes knows it smells. But he doesn't realize it because he can't smell it anymore. That's what's happened in Laodicea. Jesus says, you guys smell and you don't even realize it. You, you're, you, you're barely even Christian and you, you don't even realize it. Something smells and you guys have gotten used to your own smell. Second option, of course, is air freshener. Hey, it stinks in here. Let's get some air freshener out, people. Mmm, doesn't that smell good? Well, if you don't get to the source of your smell, you, there's not enough air freshener in the world. And frankly, air freshener doesn't smell that good in, in itself. You know what? You know what Christians use as air freshener? Religion. We had a little religion on, squirt a little here, squirt a little here, a little, little Phariseeism, little worship music, little, we put the tithe in, and, you know, everything's fine. There's a third option. There's a third thing. And that is to actually be willing to go into the basement and find out where that smell's coming from. So I go down to the basement. We, we had just put in carpet and padding. It was so comfortable down in that basement. And I'm looking at that basement and it's like, it, the smell is getting stronger and stronger, but I can't imagine what the smell is because everything looks fine. And then I step on the carpet, squish. Oh my, we had a leak in the basement. The water had come into the pad. The pad all the way through was filled with water. Uh, I got some, you know, the first idea was to get wetbacks. People said, no, 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 Tom, no, you don't do wetbacks. You don't, you don't do wetbacks. First, you get all the carpet out. Then you get all of the padding out. Then you could put the carpet back in and wet vac the carpet. But the idea that you're going to wet vac that thing to solve that problem, you need to get the padding out of there. This is not small. This is going to take some work. And it did. And so days I'm getting, I've got friends over. We're, we're pulling all the carpet up, getting all this padding. <laughs> I didn't really know what to do with it all. So we just took it to the curb. You know, the tra- they have the trash and the recyclables. And I just piled all this padding right next to it. And it was, <laughs> it was piled up to the sky. And everybody told me, they're not going to take that. They're not going to take that. I'm like, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll just see. And so it's trash day. Now, trash day is not usually that big of a day, but this was a big, big trash day. And so I would, I would, I, I remember still, I'd go up because we had a little room, a little window in our family room that looked out to the trash area. And I'd, oh, still there, still there, still there. Guys, I cannot tell you what happened to me. One time I go up to look, the trash cans are emptied because the lid is off and that padding is all gone. It's all gone. Jesus, I love you. <laughs> so we talked about the basement with the teens. Here's the basement. See, most of us live on the main floor. We don't think about it that much. We just live in our lives. We're getting by in our lives. We're doing our Christianity. We're doing our church. We've got our responsibilities. We're doing our school. We've got our goals. We've got our objectives. We've got our responsibilities. And we just don't have time for what's going on in the basement. And then, but then we get this smell that comes up. Something's not right. Something's not right. But, but we don't have time to deal with it. We don't have time to even find out what it is. So we just, we get more distracted. We, we get more music going, more video media going, more fun going, because we don't want to pay attention. Oh, hey, and once in a while, we pour, get a little religion out and pour some, pour some air freshener. Oh, that smells, yeah, that does stink. Let's get some air freshener. We, we just don't have time. We don't have time to go down. Here's what John the Baptist said to the religious people of his day. The acts 
has to be laid to the root. You're you're not going to get rid of it by mowing the dandelions. You've got to get to the root. The axe has got to go to the root in repentance. And so I just encourage our young people to go down. Deep calls to deep. Go beyond your actions and your, I did this and I did that and I did that, I did this wrong, I did that. Okay, those are all symptoms. What's in the basement? What is the fear driving you? What is the lust driving you? What is it that is way down deep that nobody else can see, including yourself? Let Jesus take you to the basement. Because here's the promise of God. If you'll go down in the basement and you will own whatever it is that's down there, Jesus will help you rip it out and take it to the curb. And I'll tell you something about the blood of Jesus. Everything that goes to the curb gets taken. It all gets washed away. The sin of it, the shame of it, the guilt of it, the penalty of it. The blood of Jesus is unbelievable, guys. Takes everything away. And I told the kids about a time in 2009, I had an experience right in the parking lot of this church. I had been wounded in ministry and then I got into performance orientation and God literally spoke to me in this parking lot and said, stop, stop. And I could, I could see that I was heading towards destruction. I was, even as a minister of the gospel, I was so busy and so, and I was neglecting what was actually going on in my heart. And it was funny because at the very same time, I had something growing on my stomach that no one knew about. Alice had mentioned it a few times, but no one knew about, no one knew that it was growing and that it was hardening. I was the only one. But I didn't have time to go to the doctor to find out what it was. When the Holy Spirit said stop to me, I purposed, I'm going to take a spiritual, I'm going to get away from it all and get right with God again. And secondly, I'm going to go to the doctor and find out what this is. Do you know what it was? Skin cancer. Because they caught it as early as they could, a surgeon could come and they took it all out. They took out the stuff around it so that I am healthy today. Do you know that I couldn't take that cancer out myself? You can't get what's in your basement out yourself. Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus is the only one that can bring living water out of our innermost being and change what is in your basement. So I'm going to ask our uh, ushers, our worship team to come and our ushers to come. We're going to close with communion today, but I want to ask you one last question before we go. Here's the question. Get ready. Is everybody ready? One last question. What kind of bacon is your Christianity? Pastor Tom, I, didn't, I don't think I heard that. Yeah, you did. What kind of bacon is your Christianity? Because let me tell you about this new bacon they've got. (laughs) It's called real bacon. But you just take it out of the pack and you put it in the microwave and you can have it in like 30 seconds. I've had quite a bit of it actually. But let me, me I'm going to tell you something about that bacon. It's not real bacon. I don't care. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care how often you tell me. I don't care how many, how much propaganda you got. It's not real bacon. Here's why. There's two reasons. Number one, it doesn't taste like real bacon. Real applewood smoked bacon cooked over a grill for a long has got an amazing taste. And this stuff is just, it, there's a faint taste that's got a little bacon in it, but it, didn't, it don't taste like bacon. Here's the second thing. It doesn't smell like bacon. Did you know that when you make bacon, that it wakes everybody in the house up? Because that aroma gets, it fills the house and people wake up that we're sleeping and they say, Bacon! There's bacon in the house. Where is it? Where is it? And they come and they want that bacon because it tastes so good. What kind of Christianity do we have? See, because just because we call it real Christianity, the difference between the microwave stuff and real is it's twofold. 
one? Because I understand that microwave stuff. It, it's quick. It's quick. And the second thing is, it's not a mess. The problem with real bacon, it takes so long to make, and it makes such a mess. There's oil popping everywhere. Everything's a mess. You've got to do something with that oil afterwards. It's a disaster. And what happens is, is we choose, and it's so American. It's so American. We love things to be quick and easy. And so we take Christianity and we, we call it real Christianity, but it fits in our little time slot and it no longer is messy. I'll tell you what, the real thing is, is messy. You're going to have to go down in the basement. You're going to have to deal with stuff. And I'm sorry about this, but it takes time. Can I just say this about the world? We have got a world that needs to wake up. They need us to be real Christians. They need the, the, the fragrance of Christ. They need the real bacon smell to wake them up. We call this real Christianity. There's no smell. They don't even want it. They don't even know that we, we are. We're privately over here doing our thing. They're doing their thing. They need to smell the bacon to wake up. And I understand this because I'm American. but Nobody's more American than me. I understand this, guys. It is so easy in a complacent culture that's prosperous, that's seeking safety and fun. It's just easy to just bring that into our Christianity and have just this Christianity light. Listen, Jesus is speaking to the church at Revelation. You don't have to have disasters happen. Wake up now. Be earnest and repent. Wake up now. I am here. I am at the door. I will. You're going to have to step up to get the fire going. You're not going to be forced to the fire when there's not. A persecution could come to America. I'm not saying it couldn't. But it isn't now. Not really. Okay, got to take communion. All right. Let's, let's, can we just bow our heads for a moment? Two, two very quick things. Number one, maybe you're here today, you don't know Jesus, you don't know that you're saved. Know this right now, Jesus loves you. Before he knocks on a Christian hearts, uh, he knocks on non-Christians and says, I love you, come to me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus did all the hard work. You, you get it as a gift. So if that is you, call on the name of the Lord right now and just say, Jesus, I want you as my savior. Make me real bacon right from the beginning. The second call is this. It's, a, it's the communion call. Paul says, every time you're about to take the bread and drink the cup, you need to examine yourself. You need to examine yourself so that you take and receive these emblems of his death in a worthy way. And I'm just going to encourage you right now to go into the basement. What does your life smell like? What does it really smell like? What would your spouse say it smells like? Go down there. What's driving you? What's driving you? And I'm going to encourage you as the ushers come to own whatever it is and to say, Jesus, would you help me get this padding out? Help me get it out to the curb. Let's pray. God, thank you for your great love. Thank you, God, that you died for me on a cross. I want taking these emblems to be very, very holy. So I am right now examining myself. Jesus, I can't even examine myself. Any more than I could fix my own car. I need you to come with me, Jesus. You are the divine surgeon, the divine mechanic. Come and go under my lid and show me the deepest things that are driving me. God, I want to courageously own them and confess them and give them to you right now. And guys, what we're going to do, we have an open communion here. Here, you guys can go ahead. We have an open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member of this church to have communion with us. What we do ask is that you wait until everybody has been served, and then we will receive these emblems 
uh, together. We're going to just worship, so you'll be holding them while we worship, and then I'll come back up here and we'll have a prayer and we'll receive them. Bless you. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. All the love I have ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in of you. I'm in of you. Where you loved ran red and my sin washed white. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. God, thank you that while we were doing our worst to you, that you were doing your very best for us, that you were giving your body that took the scourges, that took the thorns on yourself. And it was all for us. Jesus said, take and eat. Let's eat together. supper was ended. He took the cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Could we pray for the cup? Lord, what an amazing thing that whatever sin we're willing to confess, you're willing to forgive, forget, take away its shame, and establish us with garments of white. 
thank you, God, that you ordained, even though the gospel's preached in darkness and we're having to believe it in darkness, you ordained that we would get a new beginning every time. Every time we confess, every time we came together and, and just to ask for a new beginning, you would give us a new beginning with no judgment at all. Wow. Thank you for shedding your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus said, take, take and drink. Let's drink together. Could we stand together? And I know that we're at our usual closing time and people are going to have to get their kids. But here's what I'm asking today. I'm asking you to not leave the church until you've finished your business with God. If you have to get your kids and come back up here, that's great. But if you need to spend a little time down in the basement, let's, let's allow chatting and talking out in the foyer and let's just make this a holy place in here. If you need to kind of move up so that you're not distracted, I'm just going to urge you to do business with God. Even if it didn't fit right in this hour and a half, do business with God. Lord, bless us. Make your face shine upon us and give us your peace as we go from here today. We're going to have ministry teams up here. If you want to come up and confess something, you can do that. Other than that, God bless you and you're dismissed.